0: as jesus was setting out on a journey suddenly a man came and ran up to him knelt down before him and said to him good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus said why do you call me good no one is good but god alone you know the commandments you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not commit adultery you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. The man said to Jesus, "Teacher, I've kept all of these since my youth." And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, "You lack one thing. Go and sell all of your possessions, give the money to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven, then Come and follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to them, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded by this. They said to one another, well, then who can be saved? Jesus said, for mortals, it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. And Peter began to say to Jesus, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields who will not receive, for my sake, for the sake of the good news, who will not receive in this life now a hundredfold also houses, mothers and children, brothers and sisters, fields with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. For many who are first will be last. And the last will be first, the gospel of the Lord. I suspect I'll get more yeses at the second service than this service. But have you heard yet about Squid Game? It's the latest hottest, hippest Netflix series that all the kids are watching. These are the things you learn when you get locked in overnight with 20 teenagers (laughs) on a Wednesday, which I did last week. The show is all about a contest where hundreds of players from all different walks of life and each in their own kind of financial trouble... Are coerced or kidnapped and carted off to an unknown location to play children's games. Like red light, green light, with the goal of winning billions of South Korean dollars takes place in South Korea. The twist to this dark, titillating horror slash game show that Netflix kindly calls a drama is that losers of these children's games get killed as part of each contest. And the prize money grows by millions of those South Korean dollars with each death that comes to pass. I will not recommend it, Squid Game, unless you want to know or need to know what your kids or grandkids are watching, because I've only seen a few episodes The vibe of it all is something like 1984 meets Mad Max meets Saw meets War Games and Survivor. It is so very much not for everyone, least of all the squeamish or the faint of heart, for lots of reasons left best to your imagination here in worship. But it made me think about this morning's gospel because of how both Squid Game and Jesus make me wonder about the place and the power of money in our lives and in our culture and in our world. See, the contestants in Squid Game have been sought out for this deadly competition because of their debts and their desperation and because of their desire to be saved from their struggles in the world. Like this guy who approaches Jesus, you might say, they're looking for eternal life on this side of the grave and beyond. Or at least they're looking to save their own behinds and survive one more day. And like the contestants in the Netflix series, the guy who comes to Jesus has known the rules. He has kept all the rules since his youth. And the rules... The commandments are as straightforward as a children's game. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother, and so on. And Jesus' new wannabe friend dares to suggest that he has followed all of these rules his whole life long. But Jesus gives him more to think about. He tells him there's a big something he's missing and that he has missed all along. Jesus says, even if you have kept them all, you've dropped the ball on a big one, buddy. Sell all your stuff. Give away all your things. Share the profits with the poor. Give it all away and you will win this game. Give it all up and you'll have treasure in heaven. Give it all away and you'll know what it really means to follow me. You will have eternal life. It's a hard thing to hear. It was hard for the man who asked the question. He left, remember, with his tail between his legs, shocked and grieving. It was hard for the disciples, too. It left them perplexed and greatly astounded, according to Mark's gospel. So what does it do for you and me, this command to give it all away? It's not news, I hope. We talk pretty often and pretty faithfully about our financial stewardship and our possessions and sharing what we have around here. And I hope most of us have heard that bit about how hard it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, too, and about how the odds of a rich person entering the kingdom of God are even slimmer than that. You've heard all that before. I've preached about it many times. But it's always something that challenges my faith and my life whenever it shows up again. I hope it does yours, too. My first inclination, my first Temptation is always to prove how rich I'm not. But even though there are plenty of people who make much more money than me, statistically, the vast majority of people on the planet will never see the wealth of food or money or possessions that are mine. The vast majority of people on the planet will never know the wealth of food or possessions or money that I know. And that's true for you, too. Another temptation is to pull out those tithing charts that I'm always sending to you in the mail and to get out my tax returns and do the math. If Jesus really wanted to know, Krista would be better at this than me, but we could show him the 12% or so of our family's income that we give away, And I'm not bragging about that. I'm quick to point out that 12% is not anywhere near all, which is what Jesus asks of the man in this morning's story. But Jesus doesn't really want us to compare stuff or crunch numbers or run the statistics. Jesus just wants us to give generously generously. It's as simple as that. Jesus wants us to share what we have to help our neighbor and to rid ourselves of the money and the things that threaten to keep us from a real relationship with God and from real meaningful relationships of caring for one another, too. Think for a minute about how the world around us uses money to keep us from each other. The haves and the have nots, this side of the tracks and the other. The rich and the poor, the middle class, the Republicans from the Democrats, and everyone who's pretending to be outraged or surprised over that debt ceiling thing. And all the other ways we have of drawing lines of separation and building walls of division between one another just by running the numbers. So the thing that always stands out for me in this story is that moment when Jesus first responds to this stranger who's knelt before him and asked him that question. When the man suggests that he's done all there is in order to inherit eternal life, the checklist of those commandments that he's kept and honored since his youth. Do you remember what Jesus does? He looks at him. And he loves him. And then he tells him to give all of his stuff away to the poor. He looks at him. And he loves him. And then he tells him what it will take not to get into heaven. But to experience the kingdom of God. Not somewhere after he's dead and gone. But to experience the kingdom of God. To inherit eternal life right where he lives. Here and now. All this talk about giving stuff away and giving money away and giving more away for the sake of others, all of it's said always and only out of love where Jesus is concerned. Because he knows it will change everything. For anyone who's willing to believe it and for whoever has the faith and the courage to give it a go. What it means is that our contentedness won't be tied up in the things we own or the things we wished we owned. What it means is that our joy won't be determined by the stock market. It means our success won't be measured by the standards of anyone but us and the God of our salvation. It means we won't compete with or compare ourselves for one more minute with our neighbors or our Co-workers, or our classmates or our cousins either. It means we'll be liberated to be simply grateful for everything God has already given to us and if you're sitting here now in this place at this time or watching from a computer somewhere then you have more to be grateful for and more to give away to than most people in this world no matter what you or the world does to try to convince you otherwise. What Jesus says to the man in this morning's story, Jesus says to each and every one of us just the same, that our lives will be changed for the better, that our relationship with God will be magnified immeasurably, that the world around us will be transformed into something like the kingdom of God right here and right now when you and I stop measuring ourselves by the standards of this world, and start imagining, believing, buying, that we are already citizens of another kind of world. See, Jesus doesn't need our money as much as our eyes need to see it doing God's work in the world, helping the poor, building up the church, serving others. The church doesn't need our commitments as much as we need to make them. God doesn't need our gratitude as much as God wants our hearts to be transformed when we humble ourselves enough to offer it. And when we achieve that kind of generosity, that kind of service to others, when we break down the dividing walls of wealth and poverty and winners and losers, we get a glimpse of the kingdom of God in our midst. I don't know how squid game is going to end. I'm not banking on a profound life-changing epiphany to come from it all. But it is always worth wondering about the power and the place of wealth in my life. Something Jesus talked and taught about more than anything else in all of Scripture. And it's worth hearing again, God's call to us to use our resources, all of them, or as much of them as we can manage for the blessing and the benefit of the world. And mostly, it's worth remembering that every bit of this calling comes first and always and only from God's love for us. God's desire for us to share and to experience that kind of love for the sake of others And God's promise that eternal life has already been won on our behalf. So that because we know how this story ends, with resurrection, with grace, with good news, with mercy, with everlasting life, we can live differently. We can be more generous, more courageous, more kind, more full of hope. In the meantime, amen.